Capitalism is unstable. Capitalism is unequal. And capitalism is fundamentally undemocratic. I want people to make their own choices about how they live their lives, the professions they lead, where they want to work, and what they do. And capitalism offers that potential. can't get over how odd it is recording this podcast in a quiet room where there's no one around it's just me i talk to myself a lot but this is like a different level because i'm talking to myself but for other people i guess it's like recording a voice note but um yeah i'm actually um i'm really proud of that start by the way i figured out how to um add some external media (laughs) i was literally thinking of playing the stuff on my ipad and holding my phone really close to it so it'll be loud i mean that's just so so grandpa-ish but um i finally figured out how to do it so um, i hope you guys appreciate that because um <laughs> i was really proud of myself i'm recording this today is what it's wednesday night the day before the election and i'm actually feeling physically sick because of this election i don't know why i've just i don't know if it's the election or just generally but Anyway, anyway, I decided to do this topic because there's been a lot of stuff, especially given the election season about, you know, so there was a, there was a BBC debate with um, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn and the mediator, mediator, what do you call them? The lady, I forgot her name now. She was like, well, you said you're a socialist and, you know, can you like defend each position? And... I mean, you know, they both said, you know, well, you know, it's because of this, you know, Jeremy Corbyn talked about not leaving people behind, Boris Johnson talked about. It's funny because Boris Johnson didn't actually attack socialism. Half of his answer was actually just spent just talking about, you know, I support, I support, you know, a strong welfare state, you know, blah, blah, NHS, blah, blah. So he's clearly implicitly agreeing that we do have socialist institutions and he doesn't want to just abolish it because he's such a, you know, he loves capitalism so much. Which is quite interesting, but I you know Jeremy Corbyn gave a good answer that people liked. I mean, I thought the better answer would have been to highlight that, but um, I thought for a lot of people as well, younger people as well, there's you know, because of that stuff is going on, I feel like it would be a nice to do a nice little explainer on the differences. I mean, I, I mean, okay, okay, <laughs> I can already feel my blood boiling just by recording this, but um, I'll calm down. I'm gonna go through you know, definitions of capitalism and socialism, then I'll contrast them. I think the first thing I should say is there is no capitalist country or socialist country. Like, there's no such thing as one independent, like, you know, one is just one thing and one's just the other thing. But, you know, let me not get ahead of myself. Let's let's, let's start with capitalism. Start by defining it, talking about what it's all about, etc., etc. So obviously we're always being battered with the the fake facts that oh we live in a capitalist society you know capitalism is you know the gold standard there's a bit of a cold war revisionism going on even though Russia or the Soviet Union are two different countries is not even communist anymore Russia is just as capitalist as the West is but there seems to be some kind of factuation with reviving that cold war narrative. Because, obviously, Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, all around the world, a lot of leftists are rising up, you know, with the support of the people and trying to, you know, take back some, take back control, like the Brexit people say. And the rich are pushing back. So I think it's quite important for us to go through what this whole capitalism system means, what it's all about, and why we should all oppose it. Is this political? I'm not, I'm not a traditional journalist in the sense that I'm just going to, you know, lay the facts out and let you decide. I'm going to decide. And it's just self-evident, in my opinion, when you go through the facts, that this, first of all, the whole thing they call capitalism is completely made up and fake. There's no such thing. And secondly, they continually shift the goalposts for what capitalism is all the time. Their definition always changes. So today is about, you know, small government. Tomorrow is about innovation and etc etc but i'm gonna tell you why the wealthy people have been lying to you about capitalism all along it's not about anything they say is it's basically about ruining your life and benefiting them i think it's like a a disease at this point so let's get into it 
And the thing about capitalism is it's such a loosely defined concept. But generally, broadly speaking, capitalism is defined, I'm going to read from a dictionary definition here, as an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than the state. Now, the whole thing with that, I can underline what the problems with that are by private owners for profits and the whole rather by the state in my opinion is a bit of a straw man because it's not an either or and when they say the state what does that mean if we suppose that they live in a democracy then the state is the people the people is the state so you can't say the state to refer to some kind of amorphous you know big brother type institution if you're talking about the fact that we all vote it seems to me like the state is the people and I think that's kind of where the people on the left lose the argument sometimes when they're talking about socialism versus capitalism and they say, oh, well, you know, you want the state to run everything. No, we want the people to run everything. The whole subject of nationalization and all that, when you're talking about it, is the idea that the people should run it, not a few people running it, you know, for profit for everyone else. Now, let's get to the idea of profit because... That's essentially what capitalism is all about. Profit is the summum bonum, the supreme good, the end in itself in capitalism. Running stuff for profit. Now, what does that mean? That means, essentially, you're making more money than you're putting in, in layman terms. But the idea of running stuff for profit is, I think, something that philosophically a lot of people don't think about. You know, it just makes sense naturally, like, oh, you know what? To run stuff and make a profit and, you know, to want to do. Basically, that's an indication of you doing well. But I think when you talk about capitalism, especially on the scale that we have in the world economy today, I think there's a difference between running stuff for profit, you know, to make ends meet and running stuff for profit as an end in itself. I think that's a clear distinction that people need to think about. So if you're running your own store for yourself, let's say, for example, you're just, you know, a small business or something. You're not running stuff for profit because you want to, like, put all that money away and not use it. For you, profit means you make more than you're putting in. So you can use the rest of the money for your, you know, your daily upkeep, your rent and your all your life's essentials, basically. Whereas when we talk about corporate capitalism and running stuff for profit, that means more like running stuff for profit. So you make an insane amount of money, but just because that's the game. It's the game you're playing. It's almost a bit like sports. You're, you play sports to, you know, to win. But that's that's it. There's no real, you know, it's not like you're playing for anything at the end of the day. You're not even playing for money because sports people, they get money, win or lose. So, whereas if you're fighting for your life, that's a bit different. The reward is that you get to live as opposed to just sports. And I think that's kind of what capitalism has kind of become. It's almost like a sport where the game has descended into something no one really understands. You know, you have, for example, a company like, um, let's just take, for example, Amazon. Jeff Bezos is worth $150 billion or so. Now, that's money is made from profit. But again, th- there's no moral justification for that kind of profit because you can't even spend it all. If he's making money he needs to spend, you know, for his daily, you know, upkeep or whatever, then fair enough. But if he's making money, you know, in that way, to an extent where he's worth money that he can't spend in probably till the end of our species, then I just don't really see how that is a good system. But when we're talking about capitalism, one unfortunate thing about it is that, again... Another place where the left has lost um, ground is the idea that capitalism, as as it's defined, exists. It doesn't. Because if you look at the definition, it says where it's run and controlled by private owners rather than the state. But the state routinely intervenes because capitalism cannot survive itself. We see multiple crashes all the time. The recent one in 2010, there was one in 1929, in the 80s. 
It happens all the time. And the state has to subsidise heavily a lot of the so-called capitalist, you know, um, advent escapades or whatever you want to call them. Because they won't survive without state subsidies. It's like when they say, oh, you know, we just want small government. For example, the whole idea of the war in Iraq, that was the state spending huge sums of money to destroy a country so private corporations like Exxon and Chevron and all these other people can make money off the oil. Now, Chevron and stuff like they didn't have the expenditures to destroy Iraq themselves or the legitimacy. They needed the state to do that for them. So the idea that, you know, this, you know it's just raw capitalism, them just doing what they can, it's not true. If you look through, you know, a lot of companies that are actually profitable, they, they were profitable because the government, again, intervened massively. And it's hard to quantify that kind of intervention because, for example, we have public schools. So if you went to a public school, you went to university for free or you went to, you know, you have a national health service like we do. You can't then say, oh, no, it's just raw capitalism because the state has at many points in your success story intervened to make sure that you have a success story to, you know, to fund your what you're doing. Like if you had to, let's say you grew up working class or poor and you couldn't afford that, you know, it's just you can't then remove that from the equation and say, oh, no, it's just capitalism. You know, that's just what we're doing. You know, we just I did it all by myself. That's just not true. So I think what people need to think a bit more about that idea of running stuff for profit. When profit is the end game of a system, what kind of system does that look like? What does that mean? When all you're doing is just running stuff just to make... It's almost like it's a game, like I said. So you have a situation, for example, where Amazon is worth that amount of money. And now Amazon can afford to pay £30, £35 an hour minimum wage and still be worth well over £100 billion. But they won't. There's no end game for them. There's no like, oh, okay, now we've made enough. Let's stop or slow down. They just have to keep on making more and more and more and more until basically the system collapses or the people just can't take it anymore. And that's what they do. So we have to think about that. Do we really want a system where that's just the end goal? The end goal is just making as much money as you can, but not for a reason, not because you want to look after your family or look after this or look after that, just because that's just what you want to do. That's it. What does that kind of system look like? And we can see the outcomes we have now where we have incredible wealth concentration at the top by the private owners, whereas everyone else is living on scraps. Almost like a, like a slave-type system where the slaves have their lives and I guess they get to eat and sleep and stuff, but that's about it. All the money and all the actual benefits of the system just continually flows upwards. And there was actually a, a report that came out, I think it was last week, and it talks about the fact that in the capitalist system, the instinct of a, like the natural way of the system is for the things to, is for the wealth to flow upwards. Because the way the system works is that the people at the top have all the control. So if you're as a worker, you know, Amazon has an incredible amount of money to lobby the government to, you know, keep the wages low, etc., etc., so there's no way the wealth is going to be distributed because Amazon has no incentive to increase the minimum wage. They have no incentive to offer better conditions. Their game is profit and that means to continually, you know, find ways they can cut hair, cut hair, cut hair to keep on increasing their profit because that's all they have to do. Like Amazon's game is just, oh, how's our next quarter profits? Is it up or down? That's it. No regard for the environment, no regard for their workers, no regard for anything. Except, you know, is our next quarter profits going to be good? And again, we can see the effect of that system was just societal collapse. We have incredible levels of poverty, wealth inequality. You know, there was a report that came out and said there's more wealth inequality than the Stone Ages or the Middle Ages it was. Can you imagine that? So imagine if you're talking to people back then about, you know, 
economic system and stuff like that and obviously everyone has a natural inclination that you know stuff is getting better slowly and slowly but then you tell them that in 700 years or so or 500 years or so the world is going to be more unequal than it is now like that doesn't even make any sense like it just it's, it's quite hard to believe so let me just give you a quick stat on wealth inequality as a nation, are we satisfied with the reality that today the top one-tenth of one percent, not one percent, one-tenth of one percent owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent? So that means 0.01 percent of the population own as much wealth as 90 percent of the population. So if you look at America, for example, 0.01 percent their population is estimated to be about 330 million so 0.01 percent of that is 3.3 million and 90 percent of that is 297 million so that means 3.3 million people own as much wealth as 297 million people i mean what kind of system is that and i think even gets worse when you look at inside the numbers because 3.3 million is not even representative of the reality of it because a lot of the wealth is owned by a few people. So you have Warren Buffett, Bill Gates and the Walton family that own Walmart and Asda in the UK. So those three families have more wealth than the bottom half of the countries combined, which is just like five people or ten people or so. I remember how many people in the family have more wealth than over a hundred and you know, 60, 165 million people. Is that a success story? Is that like something we should be excited about? I think the, the, the thing about that is even if those 165 or so million people weren't struggling and living like slaves, which they are, the vast majority of them are, we just, that, that system doesn't work because you would think again, as stuff is getting better, those people's, you know, their, their lives will be getting better as well. So instead of just, you know, living on scraps, they'll be living more and more comfortable. A lot of them will be on middle incomes. But a lot of them are living in poverty. It's, it's quite a perverse system. And that's what capitalism does. You know, people will talk about, like, oh, you know, it's, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. For the people at the top, maybe. But it shouldn't be that way. The disparity shouldn't be that way. And that gets to a problem of our democracy as well when we talk about capitalism. What do you think happens when we have a democratic system <coughs> Excuse me, that's based on one person, one vote? But we live in a quote-unquote capitalist system where 0.01% of the population has more money than 90% of the population. So what do you think is going to happen with the democratic process? Do you think you're going to have a true democracy when the voice of those people through their money is infinitely bigger than the voice of the vast majority of the people? I mean, capitalism is meant to be like majority rules, but the majority in capitalism is majority of wealth rules. So that's why when you look at public policy, it's almost never indicative of public opinion. In fact, it's actually the opposite. There was a very, very good study, which I'm going to link to also in by, by Princeton, that shows that as you go up the income ladder, in fact, if you start from the bottom, so the poorest in our society, which are always almost always the vast majority, what they want is literally never represented in public policy. In fact, it's almost the opposite. So, for example, the poor people might want a better welfare system, but the welfare system is always being cut. As you start moving upwards, you know, there seems to be more of a correlation. And when you get to the top, the very, very top, so like what we talked about, the 0.01%, everything they want is represented in policy. Concentration of wealth yields concentration of power, particularly so as the cost of elections skyrockets, which kind of forces the political parties into the pockets of major corporations. And this political power quickly translates into legislation that increases the concentration of wealth. Again, is that democracy? 
what kind of system is that? That's oligarchy. That's plain and simple. There is no, it's not representative of public opinion. And that's what capitalism creates because those people can have unlimited influence. There was a, an election in Seattle the other day for a city council seat, which is not even that big. Amazon spent $1 million to try and remove a socialist. So that's a, a behemoth company. And that doesn't mean like just the poor workers at Amazon at the fulfillment centers. That means, you know, their corporate wing spent a million dollars to try and unseat one person. Is that, demo- is, that, is that democratic? No, it isn't. And that's what capitalism does. It destroys the system because it has to continue to gain unfair advantage. There is no fair competition. The whole point of capitalism is for you to, in fact, eradicate the competition. The idea that the competition drives down prices. Again, the whole point of capitalism is you want to keep making as much profit as possible. How do you do that? By cutting market share for the other people, for example. By making sure only you run the market. And that's what capitalism does. It does not provide a democratic system, politically speaking, that allows any, you know, any improvement. In fact, what it encourages is a race to the bottom in which you're always trying to continually pay as low as you can to make sure that you, your profit margins keep going up. The only one of the few guardrails we have in capitalism is, for example, the minimum wage, which, again, that is a socialist, if not communist policy. I know people hate the word communism now, like a boogeyman, but that is us saying this is the level of poverty we're willing to accommodate. A lot of the time, the minimum wage is criminally low, but I guess it's still the best thing we have right now to accommodate capitalism. But I don't think you'll find anyone that, that you can convince to say that if we didn't have the minimum wage, somehow wages would be higher. I don't think anyone will believe that for a second. It's just not true. So again, you see that capitalism on its own, it just wouldn't work for the vast majority of people. It would work for the people at the top because that's what they want. And again, even when you look at the idea of the minimum wage, the reason why the minimum wage is so criminally low is because those people with outsized influence can decide we want to keep it low. So if the government wanted to increase the minimum wage to £15 an hour, $15 an hour, for example, the people that own the government, which is the corporations and the private owners of, of big business, they're going to basically throw a fit and buy up the government to ensure that doesn't happen. Again, how is that democracy? How does that work? You have people literally owning the government so that any any progress is not possible. The minimum wage hasn't increased adjusted for inflation for over 40 years. Is that is that a good thing? Is that because capitalism is so wonderful and we doesn't it doesn't need to improve or increase? Of course it's not. It's because the government has been bought by the owners of our of our system and they're refusing to let any progress happen. Plain and simple. How can you say that's a victory for capitalism? It, it's not. When you talk about workers' rights and wages and stuff like that, that's another place where capitalism is incredibly undemocratic. If you think about our system, for example, the people that create all the wealth in our system are the workers. You know, McDonald's can't make any money without the the. the people frying the chips and the people manning the drive throughs and the people cleaning the stores and the people cooking the food, the people rearing the animals. So you have a system where the vast majority of the people create the wealth, but then somehow the vast majority of the same wealth goes to a few handful of people that own the business. That is not a democratic system. And if we want to create a democratic society, the first place we have to start is the workplace. And that just can't happen under capitalism. In your view, what's wrong with private ownership of the means of production? Uh, We should not have uh, relations of uh, hierarchy, dominance, uh, subordination, uh, centralized control over the means of life, uh, people who give orders and other things. Private ownership applies all that? Yeah. 
again, think about what I'm saying. I know that's very, a lot of people don't think about that intuitively, but it's true. The workers create all the wealth. Jeff Bezos has 160 billion, whatever he has. Do you think he's ever fulfilled a package in his life? Driven a delivery truck? You know, manufacture the things he creates? Any of anything like that. Even the robots that work at his fulfillment centers, I'm pretty sure he didn't come up with the ideas. Yet, just him being the quote-unquote owner of the business means he gets to siphon off a huge, huge amount of the wealth such that his workers are living hand-to-mouth, paycheck to paycheck. They're on food stamps, they're on government benefits. How is that a victory for capitalism? The wealth distribution, again, it's, it's inverted. The workers should be making at least 80 to 90, even not 95% of the, of, the, of the wealth created by the company because they're the ones that created it. Why should they create the wealth and then give it to one person that's not even involved in the wealth-making process? That's not a democratic system. They have no say in how the wealth is divvied up. They have no say in how many hours they work, how much they get paid, what their working conditions are. Jeff Bezos decides all of that. That is a dictatorship in the workplace. So we, we can't have a democratic society when we have that kind of working conditions. Most of our life is spent at work, working, etc., etc. But the place where we spend the vast majority of our lives, we have no control and no say in anything that's done in that, in, in that same place. Is that a democratic society? It, it isn't. So again, capitalism does not allow any type of democracy to flourish. Workplace democracy, political democracy, anything. Because everything is subservient to, need, to the needs of what's the third quarter profits? What's the fourth quarter profits? How are we going to make profits next time? And I often say, if you put Jeff Bezos on a lie detector and say to him, we're going to put a two-month-old baby in front of you going to give you a mallet you can smash this baby's head or your stock will go down by 25 percent bear in mind that will still make jeff bezos jeff bezos will still be a hundred billion there if that happens i promise you he would smash the baby's head because there's almost a, a, a an obsequious a sycophantic obsession with profit because if you have a person running a business in which people are dying at his workplace because he's working them so hard. People are suffering in poverty. Children are going hungry. And he has more than enough money to pay them equitably to make sure that doesn't happen. But he's not doing it. What's a, what's a baby to him? Or you look at people like um, oil companies that are destroying the planet willingly. And they knew 40, 50 years ago that they were destroying the planet. People are dying because of their products and they don't care. They fund interventions in other countries to destroy the country so they can reap the profits. So what's a baby? What's one baby? That's just nothing to them. You know, you have um, the arms manufacturers who sell weapons because, you know, and they, those weapons are used to bomb kids in Yemen, destroy, you know, civilizations. But they don't care about all that. They just want to make the profits for the next term. Now, they could negotiate a fair system with the government of that country in which, you know, they still make profit. But, you know, everyone enjoys. But again, the owners of our system will never allow that. Because there's no guardrails to capitalism. There is no, okay, you've had enough, stop. There's none of that. It's just keep taking, 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 taking. And I guess we're starting to see where it's going to end because the growth obsession has led to, you know, we have a societal collapse. We're facing mass extinctions of animals and plants and society's burning up so maybe that's the only thing that can curb it because art like in and of itself they they cannot stop you would even interview the billionaires and they'll say oh you know we have to do better we have to you know you know we have to look at you know help you know just changing the system but they can't they they physically can't it's a bit like telling footballers to play football and not try and score it's just not possible like, that's the whole point of the game. It's just naturally, you're going to want to do it. I don't know a lot if any guys are listening to this. Have you ever tried um, 
a thing on FIFA where you just pass the ball for 90 minutes. You just can't do it. Because even if you try naturally, the ball just starts to go forwards. And you just, you know, you just find yourself in good scoring positions. That is the nature of the system. So there is no way we can continue with a system that's just going to continue to destroy everything for the interests of a few, a handful of people. Destroy, you know, our society, destroy our way of life, destroy the environment, everything just so a few people can make money. And when I was going through my political awakening, that was one of the things I was struggling to understand because you have a situation where they could make, like I said, Jeff Bezos could pay £50 an hour and still be a 100 billionaire. But he just won't do it. In fact, he's looking for ways to pay even less than he's paying now. And they had to bring probably pressure on him to pay $15 or £15 an hour. And that was probably because he wanted to just get rid of some competition as well. So I, I really kind of struggled with the fact that they don't have to be so brutal and horrible to make their profits. But they will still do it. I mean, you have even the oil companies that are destroying the planet. I'm sure they could work up a deal with the government where they'll be put in charge of creating all the new renewables that we use. But they just they just won't because they can't even allow just the next quarter profits to go down. Even that little bit is unacceptable to them. So they probably want to have their cake and eat it. They want to keep on doing the fossil fuels, but at the same time keep on keep on producing, keep on investing in renewables as well so they can just have it all and you know the winner takes all we can't have that and i'm afraid that violent economic centrifuge is operating on human beings who are already very far from equal in raw ability if not in spiritual worth because it's not, it's just not an equitable society it's just not. And where, where is it going to end? And we've had a system where because the capitalists want, you know, they want to continue to do this, they have to destroy everything. So not only they have to even destroy the will, the spirit of the people, they have to make them feel like they don't deserve anything. So you have situations where you're trying to explain to people like, OK, you know, this political party or the left is proposing us to have, you know, a more equitable society. And it's almost like, what? Why? It's like they can't understand that they deserve that. But the rich people get it all the time. You know, you don't have to convince Exxon that they should, you know, the government should destroy a country so they can steal the country's oil. Or United Fruit Company to destroy a country so they can, you know, take all the, all the fruits and pr put them in tins and sell them. You don't have to do that. They, they want it. They know that they, they, they deserve it. That's to them. But poorer people, they've been beaten down so much by the system that even if you say to them, you know, imagine a better way, they, they, they can't. I don't know if any of you watch um, Game of Thrones. There was a there was a bit in it where um, Ewan Greyjoy, he was um, held hostage by Ramsay Bolton, one of the scariest people in that show, by the way. And he tortured him so much that when Greyjoy's sister came to rescue him, he literally wouldn't go with her. Like, the place was, the coast was clear and free and all he had to do was just, you know, come with her. And he wouldn't because he thought it was some kind of 3D chess where the guy was tricking him and really, if he tried to leave, he was going to be punished even more. There's a state of, there's a Stockholm Syndrome, a state of collective, you know, hypnotization, if I can call it that way. You say to people, for example, oh, you know, Uni was free 20 years ago. We should, uni should be free now. And they're like, but, but, but we, we, we can't have that. You know, we can't afford that. We can't. And you're like, what? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, it's almost confusing because they don't seem to say like, oh, primary school is free. How do we afford that? Uh, it's just, you don't even understand. Like, what these people talking about? Or there was a thing about Labour proposing a four-day work week. And people were like, oh, that, that's horrible, you know, that's a crackpot idea. What? You want to work more? I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I get very, very confused. And I'm just starting to, you know, come to terms with it that capitalism has to do that. It has to destroy 
the body politic so much that people feel like they don't deserve anything because it has to create that condition for capital to thrive. So they, the condition, the idea that, you know, it has to be one way. The idea that there can be no improvement. Everyone should be selfish. Everyone should just be in it for themselves. So when we talk about like, people avoiding taxes, you have poorer people going, well, if I was rich, I'd try and avoid taxes too. You know, the kind of, everyone doesn't care about each other. And capitalism, they have to have a system like that to thrive because any other way, people would people would oppose it intrinsically. And people do oppose it, I must say. It's not a new thing to oppose capitalism and to oppose the system, which when we talk about the, the philosophy of capitalism, there's always a debate about, you know, it's a new economic system. I personally don't think it's new. I think when you look at history, even the oldest civilizations, the Mayans, the Olmecs, the the Egyptians, the Greeks, they've always had that incredible wealth class that seems to have all the money for no reason. You know, even as far back as three, four thousand years ago, it's always been that way. So I'm sure for as long as it's been that way, there have been people opposing it and fighting it and I don't want to, you know, sound too arrogant, but I guess I'm just continuing that tradition. And when you start to unpack the reasons why this system has to go, there's a sense of pride in the sense that, you know, you're figuring it out. You're you're not, this is not new to you. You're becoming a, a new, it's a tradition that's gone on thousands and thousands of years of standing up for the poorest, the weakest in our society and saying, you know what, we shouldn't have a system so inequitable where a few people own everything and the vast majority of people own nothing you know we can do better than that and i think that's that's where the idea of socialism comes in you know the idea that if we all come together you know you put in your bit you put in your bit you know, that idea is as old as as animals themselves I'm sure animals do it that's why animals live for example in communities you know small families i guess some animals are actually you know, solitary, which is, is very interesting. I've actually always wondered about that. I wondered if animals have civilizations the way we do and the civilizations change and improve and they have customs that they used to do before, but they don't. I think that's a very interesting philosophical question that I'd like to know the answer to. So, for example, leopards or tigers, they're solitary animals or polar bears. So if we could go back in time three, 4,000 years ago, or maybe even longer than that, 10,000, 50,000 years ago, were they... Were they you know, um, societal animals before, were they communal animals, where they used to live together? Because humans have undergone huge changes in civilization, so animals are pretty smart. It's only fair to say maybe they've gone through the same too. They have languages, they communicate, they have complex social bonds. So who's to say that hasn't changed in humankind? I know some people will be like, oh, but it's different, it's different. But when you start to study the history of it, like I have, you realise that it's maybe not so different. Like, for example, humans used to have a system where lions do this thing where when a male lion, like, I don't know, chases away a lion in a current pride, it kills all the babies of the um, of the old lion. And so the, the female lion can start ovulating and have his own babies. Now, that sounds kind of barbaric and crazy, but... I was watching a documentary about um the what's he called the Mongol guy. The Mongol. Um I forgot his name now actually. But he was talking about how they used to do that all the time. Like that was a thing that happened pretty frequently. Like when you you know, when they when they invaded a a tribe or something. And that's why he fathered so many babies, because they'd kill the the baby of the old tribe and you know to get their own or they will kill the males to make sure that you know they don't have a rebellion or something like that and that's something that again humans used to do i don't i don't think we do it as much now but you know it was done before and so genghis khan that's his name genghis khan so who's to say animals didn't used to you know animals do that now who's to say they didn't used to do that before or in 10, 20,000 years, if our planet survives that long, like, they won't, you know, they won't start doing what we do and, you know, show a bit more empathy amongst themselves or whatever. 
So I think that's a very fascinating thing to to study and get to the bottom of. But when people always say stuff like, oh, you know, when has socialism ever worked? When has anything that works in the society is socialism? Even the so-called capitalist businesses are socialism. Microsoft, for example. Microsoft was only started because the state heavily subsidised the internet and stuff like that. And that's what, quote-unquote, capitalism, the corporate capitalism, that's what it does. The state subsidises stuff incredibly, and then when it becomes profitable, they turn it over to a few individuals. But that's a very unfair system because the state is all of us. We all subsidise that. Why should a few people get to rip the benefits of that? For example, we have the NHS. When uni was free. Even now, the government gives you loans for it. So, government gives you a loan to go to uni. They give you, you know, primary school free, secondary school free. Maybe you had free school meals. You had the NHS to look after you. So, why should those people have a qualification and then start charging people exorbitant prices for it so something we all invested in for them to do it doesn't seem to make any sense and socialism comes in and says why don't we all help each other people again like people say that oh, you know when a socialism ever worked no one's ready for socialism but all the things they like about a society is socialist the nhs free primary school free secondary school if uni was free they'd like that free at the point of service i don't really understand how anyone can oppose that and again when we start talking about socialism, us on the left have to make it more about the people, you know, and not say as though we oppose capitalism, because the capitalists themselves don't believe in capitalism. They always want the state to intervene for them, all the time. Tariffs, protectionism, that's how companies grow. Capitalists don't want competition, they hate it, because that means they can't do what they want. So I think we have to, you know, seize the debate from the capitalists, who are the so-called capitalists, the fake capitalists that pretend like they care about or they want a system. It's a dog-eat-dog and everyone's just a race to the bottom. Because the system we have now is not working. You know, they say, when has socialism ever worked? When has capitalism ever worked? We have incredible levels of poverty, childhood poverty, homelessness. You know, one of the more depraved things in our society child poverty i mean think of that as a concept for example for a second child poverty i mean i just i literally can't believe it but not only that even the people that are not in quote-unquote poverty they live in such a such a laborious stressful existence you know they work till they die think about the idea that we have to work from 18 years old till we're 68. Just think about how old that is for a second. The retirement age is 68. 60, that's like a grandma, grandpa. How can someone, how can actually someone be working at 68? And you had the Tory um, employment minister or something, Ian Duncan Smith, saying, oh, because of um, advent and technology and healthcare, they should increase the retirement age, age to 75. I mean, <laughs> this is like workhouse stuff. This is like Brave New World, so people dying at the workplace and, you know, you don't even get to retire anymore. You just die and work and you don't even get to, maybe you don't even get to get any pension. That's probably good for the government. Save some money there. I mean, what kind of system is that? And again, it's not because this is good for, for the for the society or good for the economy in any way. It actually makes more sense for the economy if the retirement age was much lower in the 50s or something. Because you can have zero unemployment. Because there'll be no competition with 55-year-olds and an 18-year-old for a job. And again, talk about stuff like reducing the work hours. But that again can lead to full employment. Because if you have five people working eight hours a week, there's 40 hours to go around. If you reduce the working hours to five hours, then eight people can be doing the job for the same pay. So not only are you... Because even if all you're paying is for 40 hours, the only difference is now you're paying it to eight people instead of five. That's a much better system than... Five people working eight hours for the same pay and working themselves, you know, to the bone. This way you create more employment and less working hours. You know, life shouldn't be all about work. We shouldn't live to work. We're not machines. And again, having to explain this to people is so sad because they don't even know. Like, it doesn't occur to them. That's the way that capitalism has such destroyed the psyche. And I keep saying capitalism in quotes because, again... There's no such thing as capitalism. 
anything you think of as a capitalist institution required incredible state subsidy to, to survive that way. Union busting, you know, artificially holding down the minimum wage. That's all socialism, but for, for rich people. The rich people like socialism just for themselves. The biggest example we have is the bank bailouts in 2010. That's a classic example of socialism. Now, these people said they love capitalism so much, but the system is so horrible that it, it collapsed the world economy. And what happened when it collapsed? The government stepped in, you know, and bailed them out. Socialism. But then they'll tell us they don't want socialism, but they want the government to be able to bail them out every time they destroy the world economy. We have to start pushing back against these things. And I think we're so far, we're in such a deficit with the conversation that we can't even get to the kind of things I'm talking about, like people working themselves to death, working till they die. I mean, one of the more immoral and depraved part of the of our society. You have people like, oh, 70-year-old coming out of retirement. I mean, it should be an embarrassment to us. That's like going to your grandma's house and she's, you know, working just as hard as you are to do stuff. What? She's old and weak. She should be resting, relaxing, while you do all the work. I mean, I, I just, I, mean, I haven't worked in the formal work sector like that, so I haven't seen it properly firsthand. I've heard of it, but I can't imagine how I'd feel emotionally if I had to work next to a 70-year-old. I mean, that right there is a microcosm of what's wrong with society. But people, I mean, I guess that's so far beyond people that we have to even start talking about some of the lesser rights, like higher pay or... Stuff like that. Even the stuff of pay should be very simple. It should be collective bargaining. It shouldn't be some kind of artificial minimum wage where everyone pays. It should be your company is profitable so you can pay more, so you will pay more. The workers as a collective, which is why unions are so important. Again, unions are really an act of communism. You know, communism is us being a communal society. Us as a collective coming together to, you know, to make stuff happen. When you put it that way, I don't see how anyone can oppose that. You know, we, you know, there's a thousand of us in a workplace. Let's all come together and make a union and negotiate with our employee, employer saying, you're making hundreds of millions of pounds. You have to share that more equitable with the people that are making you that hundred, hundreds of millions of pounds. The government shouldn't decide that this is the wages and then you get to put pressure on the government to keep it that way while the rest of us suffer. It doesn't make any sense. And it seems so obvious, the collective bargaining. You know, if you do a service, I mean, just think about it in your day-to-day -day life. If you do a service for someone and you took the most risk, you're not going to want 1% of the, of, the, of the reward. It doesn't make any sense. And I wrote a blog about this. I think it was chapter 26 of my blog about why we should all be paid like footballers. I think sport is probably one of the few places where there's actually fair compensation. And it's funny because people are always reeling against them. They know, oh, why should sports people make so much money? Doctors should make so much more than them or something like that. But the fact that sports people are compensated so highly, it's a reflection of their worth to the sport. There is no sport, there's no football without Messi, Ronaldo. No one's going to be paying £27, £28 a month on a Sky subscription to watch the owners talk about business you know all the money in sport comes from the performance so it only makes sense that it should get and even if, if actually look at the percentage of their earnings compared to the revenue of the club it's actually one two percent but that's how it should be because if you look at an average worker's wages in comparison to amazon's profits or revenue it does, it's not even a drop in the ocean in fact, I dare to say, if you look at the entire Amazon workforce around the world, they probably make maybe 1% of all the revenue collected by Amazon. Why should it be that way? Not only are they the vast majority of the people working at Amazon, they're the people that make 90, 99, even 100%, 100% of the wealth. There is no sport without LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. They're the ones that are you know, they're the ones creating the wealth. So why shouldn't they get, you know, those high amounts of money? That's the argument we have to be making in all the other parts of society. The people, the good workers of Amazon have made it so that Amazon is the most profitable company in the world or something like that. Or they've made 
Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. They've created such an incredible amount of wealth. Why shouldn't they be enjoying the benefits of the wealth they've created? Why shouldn't? I mean, I don't see how anyone can make a case against that. Nike using sweatshop people. Apple using sweatshop people. Those people arranging those components together, making them, or people working in the resources place where they're, you know, they're, they're mining and getting all these resources out of Mother Earth. They're the ones that make all the profits. Why is it that they get crumbs of the, of you know? And it's sad because these things seem so intuitive and obvious, but you have to explain to people that they deserve better. Like the system should be better. And again, I'm not taking any credit for this. It's not like I invented this. The more I went through my political awakening, I realized that, you know, I'm just in a long line of, of many, many people. Martin Luther King talked about this. We need socialism. Like it's, it's just not good enough, the kind of system we have now. So that was a video of um, Boris Johnson talking. And again, I think that perfectly encapsulates the contempt the, the wealthy and the so-called capitalists have for the poorer people. To them, he's talking about how this is a good thing. And he's saying there's some kind of spiritual difference. I mean, just think about that for a second. A spiritual difference between poor people and rich people. I mean, that's kind of, that's like eugenics. I mean, have you ever heard anything like that? Like that that's how they feel about poor people. That they're somehow intrinsically less than the richer ones, which... It's, it's quite a stunning thing to say, and this is our Prime Minister. I mean, now I have the, the article in front of me that I was referencing earlier. It's called the, Is Inequality Inevitable? I'll link to it in the description. It's from the Scientific American, and it was talking about how the natural instinct of wealth in capitalism is to flow upwards. And it gives an example of like a yard sale, and it says, If I'm selling something to, something to you, if I sell it for exactly how much it's worth, after factoring labor costs you know this cost that cost all of that i sell it for exactly that amount then there's no wealth difference but obviously because of the way the system is i'm going to add some you know a little bit to make some profit so you're buying it for less than the value it actually is because obviously i want to make some profit and if you extrapolate that to you know loads of like for example corporations uh, amazon Apple, all of that, that own, you know, a lot more. They they own everything and, you know, we just have to be just the consumers. All we end up doing is keep on giving them more and more of our wealth because we're paying hand over fist for something. We're giving them wealth because they are the ones that own everything. And that's how the system of, of wealth inequality starts to get exacerbated. And it, it's quite a stunning article like i said i'm going to link to it because i guess it's becoming scientifically obvious now that our system is not as amazing as all the people that are benefiting from it seem to think it is there's a there's a kind of you know confusion i, I mean i guess they must know because the level of inequality is again it's kind of it's quite eye-watering but it's not going to stop as, as this thing is saying the James Baldwin used to say, anyone who struggled with poverty knows how extremely expensive it is to be poor. You know, and that's what we have. So even people that are not in poverty by definition or according to the statistics that put you in poverty, they are poor because they can't afford to, you know, any lapse. They have to continue exactly in the, you know, work themselves to the death the way they are. If not, then they they're not going to survive you know people are not dying because they're just giving themselves up mentally physically and that's what you're starting to see in um developed societies in some developed societies anyway life expectancy is going down i mean in the for example in the u.s the most developed country in the world well in terms of wealth anyway life expectancy is going down i mean just think about that for a second a lot of deaths, economics call the deaths of despair. People are dying because, you know, they're suffering. 
and doesn't show up as like an it might it might show up as I don't know an illness or something like that, but that's that's what happens, you know. And it's it's an incredible system because again, this is what the fruits of capitalism are. So when people talk about you know how amazing it is, what are you talking about? People are dying just because they're poor, just you know, just because they're so fed up, suicides and you know, there's a, there's a zombification of the population. <laughs> kind of lyrical genius that is in which you know everyone is just you know plodding along doing what they have to do and then they die that's it like th- there's no real meaning to it all. i mean even animals have more meanings in life than than we do at least i mean at least they know why they're doing what they're doing they're doing it to fulfill some very you know basic instincts you know they don't pay any rent they don't have to pay for gas and electric they don't you know you know they just live how they live Obviously, animals. Some animals are prey. Some are predators. So, but that's just all factored in. But we as humans, we don't even know why we're living. You know, we've 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 con- constructed such elaborate, you know, systems. That it all gets a bit like confusing. Like, what is the purpose of all of this? You know, I know again, it makes us feel superior to our fellow animals, but when you strip it all down, what is the point? Because at the end of the day, what do we what do we all want? We want to be happy, we want a place to rest, we want to be able to eat, drink. How's that any different from what the vast majority of animals want? So I think to an extent, again, we've deluded ourselves into thinking, you know, we're so special, that's why we have all these incredible pursuits and, you know, amazing things like TV and technology and all that. But really, that's all just window dressing, you know, for just... We have to do. We have to go through all those loopholes to get the basic essentials. I mean, why do we have a TV? So we, we can so we can relax, you know. Whereas a lion wants to relax, they just lay down, you know, sleep because they can do that. They don't have to work for it first. They don't have to go to work first, you know. If we want to relax, we have to, you know, do a nine to five first, which is more like a seven to seven. And then after that, you know, we get some hours to relax, but not really because we have to come home and eat, and then we have to do the same, you know, the next day. Whereas animals, they just relax wherever they can, whenever they want. After they eat, they relax. We we can't do that. So again, we're again we're tricking ourselves a little bit here into thinking we're so amazing and so good when really this is not good for us. Now I guess we have a TV, but again that's all part of relaxation. You know we can fly, we fly you know to get to a destination, etc., etc. But. I'm not saying these things are bad, but we have to look at how we interact with them in the sense that we cannot give up our humanity, our existence, just for it. It it doesn't make any sense. And again, like I said, we're, we're all zombies because we all live such an empty existence. We live for, you know, 70, 80 years and we don't really know what the point of all that was because the vast majority of you were working you know, to pay some obscure bill, to live in a house. And that was it, you know. We're basically working ourselves to the bone just to have the basics. And after that, you know, we die. And that's it. A very macabre system. It just it's, it's very confusing. I think when you start to peel back the layers and go into it philosophically like that, it's just, it's confusing. At the end of the piece, to be fair to them, they do say like, you know, the the free market system gives rise to economies that anything but free and fair. It's rigged. Donald Trump said this. I guess he was right. Obviously, he was a complete fraud and a snake oil salesman, but he was right. The levels of inequality are so extreme and so... Like, eye-watering, it's like, I, I don't know. But what are we going to do? So I'll just conclude by saying, I, I just, I feel like I want everyone to have a rethink of this system. And I know, again, capitalism is so totalitarian to an extent that we can't even imagine a different system. Like... Even as much as I've been running against it, I can't even imagine a different way because it's just a part of everything we do. And I think 
hopefully this starts a conversation where you know who knows who has the answers to, to the system you know who knows but we all have to start thinking about it thinking about a different better way so because again this is not sustainable and maybe it's going to take planetary collapse for everything to you know come crashing down but i guess we don't want that because that's going to be catastrophic for, for everyone else even the poorest in our society but um i think i'll leave it there i hope you enjoyed listening to that and um i'll speak to you next time <laughs>